0: From the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to episode 213 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. My name is Deacon Steve, and I'm a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Phoenix. Time marches on. The weather's getting cooler, leaves are changing color throughout much of the country, and October will soon be here. But what does not change is God's love for us and our call to accept his love and share it with our brothers and sisters. May we be open to God's love and never, ever take it for granted. In episode 213 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast, we will first discuss our saint of the week, St. Paul VI, a pope who served the Church during a tumultuous time, telling the truth despite opposition. We'll hear a homily for the 26th Sunday of Ordinary Time, as Jesus tells us a parable about a father and his two sons. In the segment, Catholics in the News, we will learn about a woman who devoted herself to protecting life. In the segment, Truth in the Media, we will discover a new book about Pope Francis' view on ecology. In the segment entitled, I don't get it. I will try to understand what happened to a Catholic healthcare worker. Finally, during our truth topic of the week, we will hear the truth from Pope Francis about the importance of forgiveness and mercy. All of this plus music from Mark Laurent who sings Until I Saw Your Face. This and more on episode 213 of What is Truth. Saint of the Week. Born in Northern Italy, Giovanni Battista Montini was the second of three sons. After his ordination in 1920, Giovanni did graduate studies in literature, philosophy, and canon law in Rome before he joined the Vatican Secretariat of State in 1924, where he worked for 30 years. In 1954, Father Montini was named Archbishop of Milan, where he sought to win disaffected workers back to the Catholic Church. He called himself the Archbishop of the Workers and visited factories regularly while overseeing the rebuilding of a local church disrupted by the Second World War. In 1958, Montini was the first of 23 cardinals named by Pope John XXIII, Saint Pope John XXIII, two months after the latter's election as Pope. Cardinal Montini helped in preparing Vatican II and participated enthusiastically in its first sessions. When he was elected Pope in June of 1963, he immediately decided to continue that council, which had another three sessions before its conclusion in 1965. The Pope worked very hard to ensure that bishops would approve the council's 16 documents by overwhelming majorities. Also in 1965, He instituted the World Senate of Bishops, and the next year decreed that bishops must offer their resignation on reaching age 75. In 1970, he decided that cardinals over 80 would no longer vote in papal conclaves or head the Holy See's major offices. Pope Paul VI had increased the number of cardinals significantly, giving many countries their first cardinal eventually establishing diplomatic relations between the Holy See and 40 countries. He instituted a permanent observer mission in the United Nations. In 1964, Paul VI wrote seven encyclicals. His last one was in 1968, and the most controversial and one of the most important, Humanae Vitae, which prohibited artificial birth control. Pope Paul VI died on August 6, 1978, and was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. He was beatified in October 2014 and canonized on October 14, 2018. St. Pope Paul VI, a man whose work to serve the church during a time of social turmoil, our saint of the week. Homily of the Week. Today's homily is based on the readings of the 26th Sunday, in Ordinary Time. As we hear Jesus give us the gospel of a father and two sons. There is a story from the Middle Ages about a young woman who was expelled from heaven. As she left, she was told that if she would bring back the gift most valued by God, she would be welcomed back. She brought back drops of blood from a dying patriot. She brought back some coins that a destitute widow had given to the poor. She brought back a remnant of a Bible that had been used for years by an eminent preacher. She brought back some dust from the shoes of a missionary laboring in a remote wasteland. She brought back many similar things, but each time was turned away. One day she saw a small boy playing by a fountain. A man rode upon the horse upon horseback and dismounted to take a drink. The man saw the child and suddenly remembered his boyhood innocence. Then looking into the fountain and seeing his reflection of his hardened face, he realized what he had done with his life. In tears of repentance welled up in his eyes and began to trickle down his cheeks. The young woman took one of these tears back to heaven and was received with joy and love. In our first reading from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, We hear the Lord say that he's calling people to turn away from wickedness, to do what is right, and whoever does that, his life will be preserved. And In the Gospel of St. Matthew, we hear the parable of two sons and a father. The father asks the two sons to go out and work. One says no and doesn't, but changes his mind. One says yes, but doesn't go who does his father's will? The one who said no repented of that decision and went and did his father's will. So I think our readings are very clear in what they're challenging us to do. The question is, are we repenting of the sinfulness and selfishness in our lives? Repentance means turning away from sin and darkness and changing, being willing to change and turn our lives around toward Christ. Sometimes if we are honest with ourselves, we are not willing, or able, but often willing, to repent. We're not willing to repent because in this world we see that this is a world of really no sin. We do what's right for us, and that's okay. If we're not breaking a wall or doing something like that, hey, I'll do my thing, you do your thing. And in a world where sin really doesn't exist, it's hard to repent. Sometimes we tell ourselves, yeah, we sin, but you know, God loves me, he'll forgive me. And when we do that, we make light of our sins and we're really not willing to change, to repent. Other times we simply see that we are sinning But we refuse to change. We either don't believe we can, or, I hope not, but it happens at that moment in time, don't want to. And obviously, in that situation, we are not repentant. If we are to repent, we must first admit our own sinfulness and our own selfishness. We must be clear that we need God's mercy And forgiveness, so that means regularly going to the rite of reconciliation, confession. I go generally monthly, and it's at least recommended that we do that. So that we may bring forth to God our forgiveness and ask for it and be willing to repent and ask his grace. The power of the sacrament is also the grace to repent and to change. And then ultimately it comes down to a choice, to our will, a desire to repent in a willingness, even though it's hard, even though we may fall down at times, to repent and turn our lives to God. My brothers and sisters, our shelf life on this planet is not indefinite. And if we are to live where we're truly called to live, the kingdom of God, we must look at our lives and see the things that get in the way our sinfulness, our selfishness, our pride, whatever it may be. And we are called to change, to repent, to ask God for forgiveness, to make that change and turn away from darkness and toward the light that is Jesus Christ. It is only by doing that, as Christ reminds us, that we will truly live. Now let's listen to Mark Laurent, who sings, Until I Saw Your Face.
1: It's easy to pretend that nothing's wrong With so many things to hide behind I always thought I was alone I saw your face. You touched my heart, you made me cry, and I'll never be the same. Lost along the way with so many signs to choose from. touch my mind when life is mostly mystery and unknown I used to think I'd be afraid until I saw
0: in the news. Patricia Kelly, a tireless advocate for the pro-life cause whose gentle but persistent lobbying efforts helped secure a ban on physician-assisted suicide in Maryland, died recently at 88. A mother of 10 and a parishioner at St. Joseph in Tanneytown, Maryland, Kelly volunteered for Maryland Right to Life from 1980 to 1990, before working for 11 years as a legislative lobbyist focusing on pro-life concerns for the Maryland Catholic Conference. Before the Maryland Maryland legislature enacted a very permissive pro-abortion law in the 1990s, Pat was instrumental in keeping a finger in the dike and holding back the ever-increasing pressure for liberalizing the state's abortion law, said Richard J. Dowling, the former executive director of the Maryland Catholic Conference. Dowling noted that Kelly was an important advocate for passing the ban on assisted suicide, as well as weighing the groundwork for an eventual ban on the death penalty in Maryland. More than anyone, he said, she was responsible for keeping the disparate factions of Maryland's pro-life movement unified and focused. Another member of the Maryland House of Delegates called Kelly one of the finest people I've ever met. She was respected by all, even by those on the other side of the political aisle. I think they could sense her integrity and deep conviction behind her advocacy, they said. Kelly was described as wise, kind, and direct. She grew up in Baltimore and Pittsburgh, went to Notre Dame Prep, and earned a bachelor's degree in music from what is now Notre Dame of Maryland University in Baltimore. She taught at a residential school in Baltimore County with children with special needs. She met her future husband on a blind date, Dr. Edward Kelly. They had 10 children together. Her eldest child called his mother a selfless person who was always trying to do the best for her children. Her parents were able to send all their children to Catholic schools all the way from through college. Her love for children and her deep-rooted Catholic faith were the reasons that she was so passionately pro-life. It was a belief her son said, that comes from God. He is the first and final arbiter of life. She very much believed children are from God and you don't destroy God's work. Patricia Kelly was involved in helping the Archdiocese of Baltimore prepare for the 1995 visit of St. John Paul II and was able to meet the Polish pontiff during his visit. A treasured family photo shows a smiling Kelly shaking hands with the Pope. Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie called Kelly truly a blessing to all who knew her. She is survived by her husband of 63 years, nine children, 23 grandchildren, and one great-grandchild, and a brother and a sister. Patricia Kelly, an advocate defending the truth of the sanctity of life. This week's Catholics in the News. Truth in the Media. In a new book featuring his conversations with Pope Francis, Italian environmental activist Carlo Petrini said he hopes the published discussions will contribute to the groundwork laid out by Laudato C. Si. The book of Carlo Petrini entitled Terra Futura, Future Earth, Conversations with Pope Francis on Integral Ecology, is meant to highlight the importance of the Pope's Encyclical on the Environment and its impact on the world five years after its publication in 2015. If we want to use human life as a metaphor, I would say that this encyclical is entering its adolescence, Petrini said. It has passed its infancy. It has learned to walk, but now comes the time of youth. I am confident that this growth will be very stimulating. The activist and author first spoke to Pope Francis when the Pope called him in 2013, several months after his election. The book features three conversations between Petrini and the Pope from 2018 to 2020. In a conversation that took place in May of 2018, the Pope recalled the genesis of his encyclical Laudato Si, which he said he began in 2007. Although many of the Brazilian bishops spoke passionately about the great problems of the Amazon, the Pope said he was often irritated by their speeches. I remember very well feeling annoyed by their attitude and commenting, these Brazilians are driving us crazy with their speeches. At the time, he said he did not understand why our assembly of bishops had to devote itself to the theme of the Amazon, ecology, for the health of the world's was not a concern. At least he didn't understand what it had to do with his role as bishop. Since then, much time has passed, and and Pope Francis's perception of the environmental problem has completely changed. The Pope also agreed that many Catholics had the same reaction to his encyclical, Laudato Si', so it was important to give everyone time to understand it. However, at the same time, we need to change our paradigms very quickly if we want to have a future. Petrini, who is actually agnostic, said that he hopes the book will bridge the gap between Catholics and non-believers and unite them in building a better world for future generations. Terra Futura, Future Earth, Conversations with Pope Francis on Integral Ecology by Carlo Petrini, telling us the truth from Pope Francis about the importance of our responsibility to maintain the ecology. This week's truth in the media. A young Portland, Portland, Oregon medical professional this year was fired for objecting to certain medical procedures on the grounds of her Catholic faith. She was fired not from a secular hospital, however, but from a Catholic healthcare system, one that purports to follow Catholic teaching on bioethical issues. I definitely didn't think there was necessarily a need to hold Catholic institutions accountable for being pro-life and Catholic, but I'm hoping to spread awareness, said Megan Kreft, a physician assistant. Not only is the fact that the sanctity of human life is being undermined in our Catholic health care systems, unfortunately, however, it is being tolerated as unacceptable and frankly scandalous. Kraft took a physician assistant position with Providence Medical Group, which was her local hospital in Sherwood, Oregon. The clinic is part of a larger Providence-St. Joseph healthcare system, which has clinics across the country. Kraft said that she was hopeful that her desire to practice medicine consistent with her faith would be at least tolerated. They offered her the job, she was asked to sign a document before starting agreeing to conform to the institution's Catholic identity and mission and to the U.S. Bishops' Ethical and Religious Directors for Catholic Health Care, which she was actually happy to do. She figured that she would be able to practice medicine in a place that would respect Catholic teaching on life and what was right to do for the human person. But before she started work, she said one of the administrators of the clinic reached out to her to ask what medical procedures she would be willing to offer. On the list she was asked to talk about were things like vasectomies, IUDs, um, emergency contraception, which are all against church teaching. Within the first week, few weeks of work, Kreft said she had a physician recommend that she refer a patient for an abortion. She also found that the clinic encouraged providers to prescribe hormonal contraception. She reached out to the clinic's administration to say that she's not going to do those things. Talked to her clinic manager, talked to the chief mission integration officer, and basically said her clinical manager told her that basically the clinic's patient satisfaction across would go down if she didn't prescribe contraception. The clinic eventually prohibited her from seeing any female patients of childbearing age because she wouldn't provide contraception for them. One of her last patients, she saw a young woman whom she had seen previously for a fa- an issue, and then she tried to listen to the fat to the, to the patient, but the patient told her that she wanted to have uh, emergency contraception, which Kreff refused to do. She was then called into her boss's office, told she did the patient harm by refusing, and violated the Hippocratic Oath, according to administration. She then was told that she would not be able to work for this provider and eventually was fired from her position. So let me get this straight. A Catholic healthcare worker is fired by a Catholic healthcare system, one that asked her to follow the teachings of the church, for standing up for the teachings of the faith regarding acceptable medical treatments. Now, I can't make any sense of this. This can't be happening. This couldn't have happened. But it did. I don't get it! Truth Topic of the Week We cannot demand God's forgiveness for ourselves unless we are prepared to forgive our neighbors, Pope Francis said recently. If we do not strive to forgive and to love, We will not be forgiven and loved either. The Pope reflected on the gospel in which the Apostle Peter asked Jesus how many times he was required to forgive his brother. Jesus replied it was necessary to forgive him not seven times, but 77 times. Basically, an indefinite number forever. Forgive always. Pope Francis noted that in the parable, the servant owed a vast sum to his master and yet the master forgave the servant's debt. But the man did not in turn forgive the smaller debt of a servant who owed him money. In the parable, we find two different attitudes, that of God, represented by the king, who forgives so much because because God always forgives, and that of the man. In the divine attitude, justice is pervaded by mercy, whereas the human attitude is simply limited to justice, Pope Francis reminds us. He explained that when Jesus said we must forgive 77 times, he meant in biblical language to forgive always. How much suffering, how many lacerations, how many wars could be avoided, Holy Father went on to say, if forgiveness and mercy were the style of our life? It is necessary to apply merciful love to all human relationships, between spouses, parents, children, within our communities, in the church, and also in society and politics. Pope Francis added that he had been struck by a phrase from the day's first reading, remember your last days and set enmity aside. Think of the end, Pope Francis said. Think that you will be in a casket, and will you take your hate there? Think about the end. Stop hating. Stop the resentment. To forgive, the Holy Father concluded with, is not only a momentary thing, it is a continuing thing against this resentment, this hatred that returns. Let's think about the end. Let's stop hating. Pope Francis, telling us the truth about the importance of forgiveness and mercy. Our truth topic of the week. Well, we've come to the end of episode 213 of what, of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. If you have any feedback about the podcast you wish to share, and I want to give a shout out to Jim from Western Pennsylvania, who recently sent me an email sharing some feedback. His suggestion, which I am want to try to implement, is either not to have music, or if we're going to have music, have it kind of relate to the homily or to the kind of theme of the podcast. That's hard to do sometimes, in truth, because I download free music, uh, which means the choices are limited, but I think it's a great suggestion. And please keep the suggestions coming. And thanks, Jim. God bless you. And uh, keep listening and sharing ideas. It's, it's, It's just great. So let us pray. Lord, help us to discern the truth, the truth you call us all to live. Help us to live in this truth so that we can be as you created us to be, truly free. And let us ask Our Lady's help in this journey. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Until next time, God willing, next week, this is Deacon Steve. I invite you to join me as we discover together what is truth.